Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and along with Bruce, the two of us together have written 35 and counting cookbooks, including The Boozy Blender. Now, there's a book you need this summer. Fun. Mmm, fun. The Boozy Blender, just an unbelievable collection of frozen wildness in glasses, as well as the Instant Air Fryer Bible out this fall uh, cookbook, a step-by-step cookbook for instant brand air fryers like the Vortex and the Omni, although you can use it actually with any air fryer you that's can. out this fall. So we're going to be talking a lot about flowers. Believe it or not, this is a flower show. Well, a lot about flowers and rhubarb and also, as we always do, what's making us happy in food this week. So let's get started. At our house in rural New England, Mark is an avid gardener. I don't garden. I don't get out there. I love I love what he's done with the house. I love the beautiful plants. I love the gorgeous flowers. But I don't want to do it, so I'm thrilled he does it. Now, we don't grow vegetables. But did no, you know— that's not true. Well, we grow tomatoes. We grow fruits. We grow we grow fruits. We grow, we grow blueberries. Fruits. Well, blueberries are berries, and berries are not really fruits. But there tomatoes is, are fruits. We grow tomatoes, too. That's right. We so, do. But do you know that you could probably eat your way through your flower garden? Oh, okay. Now, I'm going to have to just put a huge caveat down here. You can eat your own flower garden if you are an organic gardener, if you are sure you know what has <clears throat> urinated on your plants. <laughs> You can laugh. Well, like you said, what and not who. <laughs> Your neighbor. Well, we live in a world of bears and moose and deer and foxes. So you do have to be careful and you have to be an organic gardener and you have to grow flowers actually to eat them. You have to treat them as a food crop, not a, you know, pretty decoration crop. Yeah, and I mean, look, zucchini blossoms, the squash blossoms, most people, if they've ever eaten in an Italian restaurant, have eaten them. They've been stuffed and fried. However, a first thing I want to do is I want to go through the list of things you should not eat, right? Okay. These are things, just avoid them. I want to get this right out of the way. Don't eat hydrangea. Yes, that's a that's a big one. And uh, I have actually had, uh, this is really hard uh, to say, and uh, it's a long story, but let me just say that I have had tempurid hydrangea blossoms in a Japanese restaurant once. In and, Japan. Yeah. And I want to say that it was a wild experience. And now I know that you're not actually supposed to eat hydrangea. And in fact, this may have been a, a form of hydrangea that is edible, or maybe the restaurant just wanted to kill me? I don't know. <laughs> it has cyanide in it. Right. Hydrangeas contain cyanide naturally. And let me also say that uh, the, across the North America, particularly if you're listening to this across North America, we do have anthrax occurring naturally in our soils. In fact, here in New England, where Bruce and I live, we have actually high concentrations of anthrax. It's not enough to kill you, but you do want to wash your hands and that anthrax can get picked up by plants. So just be really careful about right. what you do. So no hydrangea, no clematis. That's got an irritant glycoside that can cause burning amount. No oleander. Oleander are super poisonous to dogs. So mm. um, you want to keep away from the oleander at all. Of course, my mother had 
oleander when I was a kid. Huge, giant oleanders. They were beautiful, and they bloomed beautifully. However, uh, we did have dogs, and so the, eventually we chopped out the oleander. Yeah. Azaleas, rhododendron, off the menu. So is foxglove, digitalis, oh. because unless you have a heart condition or taking digitalis in pill form, that's but the only that's, way you should have it. That's a different kind. Of, that's a refined <laughs> digitalis. That's not the saying. flower of foxglove. And glove. lastly, do not, and the list, the list is longer than this, but these are the ones that you might have in your garden. Don't eat lily of the valley. Oh, no, 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 no. Fatal. No, no. no. Fatal. And you should, by the way, if you have dogs, you probably want to pull up all lily of the valley. Uh, again, very, very bad for dogs. And they, uh, are, they're attracted to it like foxglove. Uh, they, dogs can be attracted to it, especially if you have a dog that likes to sniff around and eat things. I mean, we have really picky collies that will barely eat their own food. So our collies would never Strangely, eat one of them love or lilies of the valley, but still in the Eats grass, though. Yes, one that's true. Walks around pulling grass out of it. That's them. true. And we don't put any kind of fertilizer, even organic fertilizer, down on our, our yard because one of our dogs thinks our yard is a salad. And it's <laughs> like, it's just not, he, he, he particularly eats grass when he runs. So he likes to chase a ball. And when he he, he, you know, you throw the ball. The first thing he'll do is grab a mouthful of grass and, and then run. run after the ball. So <laughs> I don't know where he picked that up. I don't either. But we we keep all of the pesticides and all off the grass because of him. So you want to be careful about all of these things, especially again if you have pets or children. Foxglove and lilies of the valley are really bad if you have children. But there are flowers you can eat. There's there's so many you can eat. So what can you eat? Marigolds. First True. of all, they're beautiful they're the golden color orange and they have a floral flavor it's a little bitter and peppery and how would you use them well I, I have used the petals in salads in my life, and I have also taken the petals apart on marigolds that I have grown, but again, grown as a food crop, not as a pretty crop, not as a decorative crop. I have taken the petals apart of the blossoms and sprinkled them over steaks and mm. along with fresh thyme, and it's really beautiful. Fresh thyme blossoms and marigolds, all that purple and yellow together, it's quite beautiful. Well, and because of the color of them, if you dry the marigold petals and then you crush them into a powder, you could substitute it for the color that saffron gives food. Uh-huh. It won't give it the flavor no, of saffron, right. but it'll give you the color of saffron. Right. And of course, we all know about chives. And of course, chives also blossom. And those blossoms are edible, just like the chives. We grow a lot of chives because we eat a lot of beef tartare in this house. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> and yes. a lot of Chinese dumplings. And yes. I do both with chives. And I love raw beef. I do. <laughs> you know, my answer when they say in a restaurant, how do you want your steak cooked? I'm always like, you're going to cook it. Why would you cook it now to be to be honest i will not eat raw beef when i pick it up at the local supermarket no. this is beef i'm getting from a local sure. farm it's an organic farm i know the farmer i know the animals so i trust that meat and i love when the chive blossoms are growing like right now they're starting to blossom it is mid early june they're wispy purple petals i chop them up i throw them in with the mix oh it's so wonderful yeah, and i have grown actually as a food crop i grew on the patio once on our deck i mean um in pots i grew fennel bulbs for the flowers not for the bulbs i mean we may have ultimately eaten the bulbs but the whole point was to have fennel flower because fennel flowers are just so beautiful i should tell you that if you're going to grow fennel as a flower crop to eat 
they, it has a very pronounced flavor. Yeah, it's a very strong flavor. And especially if you let it go all the way to the pollen stage uh-huh. or the seed stage, I love to dry them and sprinkle them on top of pasta or rub it into pork with olive oil and garlic. Um, it kind of looks like Queen Anne's lace, but it's yellow. Right. And boy, is it good. And a lot of people know about cooking with lavender, and there is a lot of lavender oh, out Nancy there. Nancy Baggett knows everything about lavender. That's right. If you don't know Nancy Baggett, B-A-G-G-E-T-T, she has books on cooking with lavender. Uh, if you're interested at all, you should check it out. I think she also has books on growing lavender, the proper kinds of lavender to grow. And according to Nancy, lavender has a huge range of flavors. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I think of lavender, I think of bathroom deodorant. So <laughs> I don't actually know that it has a huge range of flavors. Oh, she takes, but she claims yeah. it's got this giant, wide-open range. On one of her social media feeds this week, she actually had a video going through her garden of all the different kinds of lavender growing and what she would be using each kind for because this one's stronger and this one's milder and this one's peppery and this one's buttery. Who knew? Lavender had so many options. Yeah, who did? And uh, I grow a lot of bee balm uh, or Monarda as it's really called. Uh, You might know it by its more common name, bee balm. And we grow a lot. We do not grow it here as a food crop. So I don't worry about who or what pees on it. And uh, (laughs) it's so tall. They're not going to pee on the flowers. Well, yeah, but I don't worry about it. I don't protect it in any way. So we don't actually eat ours, but you can. And a lot of people use the red petals for teas, and a lot of people use the leaves for teas. Bee balm is an extraordinarily popular plant. Uh, it can You can actually use it in all kinds of drinks, even in mixed drinks. It has an extraordinarily herbaceous flavor. If Almost you, citrusy herbal. Yeah, it's like a cross between citrus and gentian, if you know about mm. gentian, um, which is a European favorite. And then we should talk about a last category, which are nasturtiums and pansies, which are kind of related to each other in some way. And these are both edible. They're ed- oh, related yeah. to each other because they're so commonly grown as edible flowers. Yeah, and com- if you ever find edible flowers in a restaurant, it's probably going to be nasturtiums or pansies. Yep. They throw them on the plate, and yep. people don't even realize they can eat them. Yep. Um, they could be laid on top of cookies and cakes before baking, and that just really makes Bef- them beautiful. Before I ever met Bruce, um, I used to do all the cooking, but now I'm married to chef, so I never cook. But I used to make a lot of dinner parties, and I always made sure I lived in Austin and I would go to Central Market and I would buy nasturtiums or pansies and always make sure there were some on something like on the rice or something and no no one in nobody the, would nope, them. no one knew I was gay <laughs> um, oh. so uh, <laughs> You're going there. <laughs> so I would put nasturtiums and pansies on everything because I thought they were so beautiful in salads. They're gorgeous to lie on the top. It's uh, quite something. If you can find any edible flowers in the supermarket, most likely you'll find nasturtiums and pansies. We have only just scratched the surface of what you can do with eating your way through the garden. And coming up later in this episode, I'm going to be speaking with an expert, Cassie Winslow, about cooking with flowers and she has a new book out floral provisions we're going to be talking about more and exciting ways to use flowers in the kitchen Before we get to segment two, let me just say that it would be great if you could rate this podcast and if you could give it a comment, even just great podcast or super entertaining. Lately, there have been several of those that have gone up on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that. Thank you very much. We are unsupported. We're doing this just for the love of doing it. So any kind of help we can get is so important to the podcast itself to keep it moving. And also, if you want to connect with us, look for us on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. And there is a group on Facebook called 
Cooking with Bruce and Mark, where you can connect directly to us. Okay, up next, segment two, our one-minute cooking tip. What is it? Well, more eating from your garden. This is rhubarb. Well, if you're lucky enough to grow rhubarb. Well, the tip is... Don't oversweeten your rhubarb. Yeah, Why do that people, is true. You know, old-fashioned recipes for rhubarb add double the amount of sugar yep. you need. Yep. And I'm going to be really honest and say we have a recipe in one of our first books for a rhubarb pie, and I made that for company last weekend, and I cut the sugar by 30%, and it was still amazing. It was actually even better. So tastes are changing. My personal taste is changing, and you do not need to add as my much sugar to rhubarb. I, my mom's strawberry rhubarb pie. I remember this to this day. And, of course, you add strawberries to make it sweeter, right, which is why people put it in there. And her strawberry rhubarb pie called for two cups of sugar. And I always, no matter what you would do to that pie, no matter how she would do to it, there would always be undissolved sugar right at the <laughs> center of the pie. There'd be like a white clump of sugar right oh, at the center because there was so much. And there was already stra- strawberries in the mix. Look, you don't need that much sugar with rhubarb. You need some. It's yeah. super, super sour. But sour is good. And you're doing rhubarb for that sour flavor. Besides, don't cover it up with too you, much sugar. If you use less sugar, you can have more vanilla ice cream. Okay, up next. <laughs> Okay, up next, Bruce's interview with Cassie Winslow, author of Floral Provisions. We are continuing our march down the floral eating, flower eating segments of this podcast. Today, I'm talking with Cassie Winslow, author of Floral Libations and her latest book, Floral Provisions, a beautiful book all about cooking with fragrant garden flowers. Welcome, Cassie. Thank you so much for having me. Earlier in the show, Mark and I talked about using flower petals for salads and teas, but you dive so much deeper. You start your book off with some floral infusions like rose salt and jasmine sugar. Yum. What's the process like to make these? And how would you suggest people use flower infused salts and sugars? I love my uh, edible flower pantry staples. I have them in the first chapter of both of my books. And the reason why is because it's really nice to have them on hand. So you're not having to add an additional step when you go to make a recipe. So rose salt, for example, is one of my favorite pantry staples. Um, and it's incredibly simple to make. You simply take organic dried edible rose petals, which you can source online. Um, just make sure they're organic and that they are edible. And you just mix it with a little bit of salt and kind of let it sit for a while. And then, you know, the next thing you know, you're rimming your margarita glass with it or champagne and sprinkling it on top of homemade French fries or even chocolate chip cookies. So do some flowers take longer to infuse into salts and sugars than others? Yeah, that's a great question. I would have to say that it depends on the variety and where you source it. So for example, you know, gotten some dried roses from Amazon or I've gotten some from Etsy and some have been a lot more fragrant than others. So it really just kind of depends on the sourcing. Yeah, I would say that something like calendula is very subtle. And so it would take quite some time to um, infuse like a salt or a sugar. I don't really um, use it necessarily for that, for that reason. Um, and hibiscus as well, but, um, for example, like lavender and roses and chamomile, they're definitely more potent and I'm going to fuse a little bit uh, more quickly. You suggested rimming a margarita glass with these infused salts. Can you bake with the infused salts and sugars? Oh, definitely. Oh, yes. All of my recipes um, in the book have some element of that. <laughs> You're using one of the pantry staples, um, you know, the infused sugars and salts or the, or the syrups in the recipe. So like the jasmine sugar in muffins. 
So you just are simply like an everyday recipe that you make all the time, like muffins or pancakes or crepes or whatever your favorite, um, you know, baking item. You just go ahead and add a little bit of the infused salt or sugar, um, depending on the recipe. And it just adds a little something different. What are some other ways to include edible flowers into everyday recipes? Well, just like you were saying with the salad, I think that that's the best way to, um, you know, add a little touch of fancy, uh, <laughs> you know, make something a little fancier. Um, just adding some edible flowers to a salad or garnish your, you know, a little scoop of ice cream or even, you know, a cocktail. Um, I like to use my lavender syrup in my coffee sometimes if I'm wanting just a little sweet drink in the morning. That sounds fabulous. You have a recipe for donuts in your book? Mm, donuts are my favorite indulgence. This, so this recipe for donuts in your book starts with one of your floral infused sugars in the dough, and then you offer four floral glazes. Tell me more about making this magical dessert. Well, there's nothing like a fresh donut, you know? So even if you go to a donut shop, sometimes they've been made, you know, three or four hours earlier, and they're just not as good when they're super fresh. And so I've always loved making fresh donuts. It's something that my daughter and I love to do together. I have a little five-year-old and she loves helping me bake in the kitchen. And um, so donuts are kind of a fun tradition for us to um, make together. And she's always, you know, coming up with different ideas. And so we make different icings. I hardly ever just make one kind when we make them. Um, so it's been fun to kind of experiment here and there. And yes, I like layering the edible flowers in the recipes. So with the sugar and the salt, and so you're getting little flecks of, of petals, you know, in the actual donut dough itself. It's so pretty. <laughs> um, and then just, yeah, four different kinds. You can kind of pick your favorite. If you like chocolate, if you like lemon and um, just kind of experiment and have fun. Chocolate and flowers sounds like an unusual combination. What are what are good floral flavors to blend with chocolate? Well, if you're a fan of mint chocolate, lavender can actually have a similar effect when it's paired with chocolate. It kind of tastes a little minty. Um, so that's kind of a fun one. And um, yeah, rose, raspberry, and chocolate are a really nice combination as well. If somebody wants to grow their own flowers indoors, they, they don't have a house, so they can't have a big gardens, so they want to grow flowers in pots inside. Do you have any tips for them? Lavender is the one I've had the most success with. It's been kind of tough with other varieties, but I have had success with lavender and um, placing it, you know, in a pot um, on your windowsill or close to a window so it can get enough light. That's been the most success I've had. I've tried chamomile, wasn't as successful, um, but, you know, my husband definitely is the one who has the green thumb in our family. So, <laughs> uh, but we recently, I mean, just over the past few years, we've had a garden so we've you know when we were living in Hollywood we had an apartment and that's when I was kind of really starting to dive into experimenting with edible flowers and um you know so we would try to grow things like you know in pots near our little you know front door and the windowsill and yeah lavender is the way to go if you want to give it a try you just mentioned chamomile and of course for most people they think of chamomile tea would tea bags if you open them up and take the insides out that are made from flowers, would those be okay to use at home for cooking? Absolutely. I think chamomile is actually the easiest to source because of that. So because you can, you know, find chamomile tea pretty much anywhere. Yeah, you can, you know, just cut open the bag and, and you can make chamomile salt using the chamomile blooms inside. You just want to look at the ingredients and make sure that it's just chamomile because sometimes different, you know, like green tea can be mixed in there, for example. So you just want to make sure it's just um, chamomile. 
And I even will sometimes just use the tea bags if I want to make a chamomile simple syrup. I'll make the syrup and then just, you know, once the sugar has dissolved, I'll put the tea bag in and let it um, steep for about five minutes and then take it out and you have chamomile simple syrup. It's a, a great technique and it makes for an easy cleanup. That sounds fantastic. In your book, you even flavor whipped cream with flowers. Tell me how that goes. <laughs> well, you can do it a few different ways. You can, um, you know, just add a drizzle of syrup while you're whipping the cream. Um, you can also, you know, just kind of, if you'd rather use like a powdered sugar, you can do a little bit of powdered sugar and then just um, add a pinch of whatever kind of flour you like. And in my book, I have a lavender whipped cream that I like to serve with berries. And so you can add lavender sugar to sweeten it. And again, it just kind of adds a little touch of something different. So when you're eating the lavender whipped cream with berries, you're not going, wow, this is just tastes just like lavender. It's very perfumey. You know, it's, it's not like that. It's like, Oh, that, what is that flavor? That's really lovely. Going on with even more baking in your book, there's a gorgeous picture of a pie and it's an olali berry and hibiscus pie. So first off, what are olali berries for people who are <laughs> not familiar with that? And where's a good place to find dried hibiscus? Dried hibiscus is available online as well. It's really quite remarkable over the past decade how easy it is to source dried organic flowers. So if you just Google organic dried hibiscus petals, you'll be able to find them, um, you know, as I mentioned on Etsy or on Amazon, lots of different sources for that. A lot of berries, I believe, are a type of blackberry. And having lived in Santa Cruz, um, for years, they, there are so many different berry varieties that are grown there. Logan berries, boysenberries, alala berries, and alala berries have always been a favorite. And there was a farm down the road from where we um, lived in Santa Cruz that grew alala berries and you could go picking. Um, so we would have baskets full. So I began a tradition of making alala berry and hibiscus pie. And the thing with hibiscus is it adds such a vibrant color. Um, when you add it to anything. So something like berries, you're going to be dealing with a very vibrant color alone, right? And then you add the hibiscus and it just becomes quite outrageous. So I saw that on amazon.com, when you go to your book, there's a video of you there making marshmallows with an hibiscus infused sugar syrup. That sounded absolutely fantastic. And I think everybody needs to go watch you make those hibiscus marshmallows because they look amazing. Oh, you. If you had to pick your top three flowers to cook with, which would they be and why? First of all, part of incorporating flowers in baking and cooking is the visual aspect of it too. It's not just the flavor, right? So with that in mind, I would say roses um, can be really lovely for that reason. Um, and, you know, they do add a, a subtle flavor too. But even just like I mentioned, rimming a glass with rose salt on, you know, your everyday cocktail. It's so beautiful. Even if you don't want to indulge and taste it, you can just rim half of the glass just to be drinking something pretty. So that's one. Another, like I mentioned before, chamomile is very versatile. It can be used in savory dishes as well as sweet. And it has an earthy honey-like flavor. 
Um, it's just, it's my favorite and it has surprised me. I've, you know, experimented with it and it's really shocked me how much I use it, especially my chamomile salt. I can even use it to, you know, season a chicken. Um, chamomile salted fried chicken is really good <laughs> with the orange blossom buttermilk uh, dip. Yes, highly recommend. Um, okay, so the third one, I want to say lavender, but I feel like that's too easy, but it, I do use it a lot. <laughs> it's really good in lemonade and, um, you know, I like to drizzle lavender syrup on top of chocolate ice cream. Great combinations. Cassie Winslow, her latest book is Floral Provisions and you can find her at CassieWinslow.com. Cassie, thanks for being here and for sharing some of your insight on cooking with flowers. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Super entertaining, super wild, uh, eating your way through the garden. I just, it's hard for me kind of to get my brain around some of it, but uh, I suppose it is a thing, right? I love this stuff. I love cooking with flowers. I want to start doing more of it. I may I may actually start pulling out some of your bee balm when okay. it, well, when you, it you gets You've got to tell right. me what you're pulling out because it's not, there are things that happen in the soil. you got to tell me. Because uh, I will just pull the red flowers out and mm, steep them in cream and make you bee balm ice cream. Okay, we're going to have to have a little talk about how it's raised and what's going on out there. I don't use any um, pesticides, but still nonetheless, we want to be really careful about what we, we eat. Do. Okay, so our last segment traditionally what's making us happy in food this week and i'm gonna start okay what's making me happy in food this week is putting pickled jalapenos on air fried cauliflower <laughs> it is uh, so I, obscure i knew that would crack bruce up but last night um before, last night when before we recorded this uh we had some skirt steaks from the grill and Bruce air fried a bunch of cauliflower. And I love air fried cauliflower. I think it's crispy and delicious. And I got out the big jar of pickled jalapeno rings and I just poured them on top of that cauliflower. And boy, was it good. Well, we're in the same line of thought because what's making me happy in food this week are skirt steaks. And <laughs> Which we yeah. had with the pickled Which cauliflower. Which we have with the... <laughs> the pickle, wait, the pickled jalapenos with the cauliflower. And skirt steaks are the diaphragm muscle of the cow. And the farm we go to, she sells kinds that she labels inside skirt and outside skirt. And I'm not sure I actually ever even knew what an inside skirt was. It's a bigger, flatter, tougher piece. It's the outside skirt that I'm familiar with. Right. And it's very long. This thing could be two and a half feet long In and thin. In old days, yeah. this is what was fajitas were made out of. Not necessarily anymore, but in the old days. And I mean, I'm talking like the 80s when there was like one on the border in Dallas, Texas. It was skirt steak that fajitas were made from. Not no more. Oh, the way the fat runs through the meat and it just crispens up on the grill and you get burned edges, but mm -hmm. you keep the meat mm -hmm. a little rare in mm -hmm. the center. Mm -hmm. And I marinated it in, I just, I went like a little nuts. I just started pouring things in a bowl and I put a little lime juice and lots of garlic and some fennel seeds and I think I put a squeeze of fresh orange juice and I put a splash of the uh, vinegar the, from the pickled jalapenos and oh my god it was good it was good but I still say jalapenos pickled jalapenos and air fried cauliflower are better so what can I tell you that's our show this week 
Thank you for being a part of it. We hope you've learned about eating florally and eating from the garden and all the things that you could grow or you can find at farmers markets or high-end supermarkets and you can add so much color and so much wonderfulness to your food with flowers. Thanks for being a part of Cooking with Bruce and Mark. We appreciate that you're on this journey with us. We appreciate that you have connected with us. Continue to do that by finding us on Twitter, Instagram, and in the Facebook group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. We will see you next time on this podcast.